All right, so this morning I've already made one cryptic reference to a date that kind of made some of you feel uncomfortable. You've never heard of Romper Room. Well, let me take you back to a year. The year was 1965. How many of you were not yet born in 1965? Brother Wes was in grad school, I think, then. He was... Uh, <laughs> Hard to believe this, but it was 56 years ago. Many of us were not alive in 1965. But 65, or excuse me, 56 years ago, 1965, a young British rock band from England released their very first single in the United States, and it became a smash hit. In fact, it was the summer of 1965, and actually it hit... Uh, this very weekend, it was released in July, and in August, it hit the Billboard Hot 100 as number one. The band was a group of young Brits that called themselves the Rolling Stones. And you may even can guess what song I'm going to not sing for you, but share with you as an illustration regarding our study of Ecclesiastes. Young Mick Jagger then said, I can't get no, help me out, satisfaction. He sang that chorus over and over again. I try, and I try, and I, now don't start singing, all right? We've already had that part of the service. This is the time you listen to some preaching. But he said, I try, and I try, and I can't get no satisfaction. And this is not a new thought. In fact, the wisest, richest, most influential man of his day and perhaps of all time, King Solomon, came to the exact same conclusion that the Rolling Stones did, but he did it 3,000 years ago. In the 900s BC, he wrote these words in his journal that all of life is vanity, all of life is meaningless, all of life is like chasing after the wind. To me, it's kind of Interesting, it's pretty hard to imagine that that was 56 years ago and it still has a, a current flair and a current sense of draw. In fact, just a, a side note, I thought this was interesting. The Rolling Stones are heading out on a world tour this fall. Three of the members are in their late 70s. One is 82 and their drummer just this week had some kind of an emergency medical procedure. He's 80 years old and he won't make it on the tour. And it amazed me to think, how many multiplied millions of dollars do you need? We're going to go back on tour, make some more money. Rockefeller was asked, how much money does it take to satisfy a person? And he said, a little bit more. Regardless of where you are, if you're looking for satisfaction and hope and meaning and purpose in the things of this life, I can cut to the chase and help you because Solomon has already done so. He said everything under the sun is meaningless. It's vanity. It doesn't mean that life is without meaning. What it means is that the meaning of life is elusive. And under the sun, everything is not profitable. You can work your whole life and still die and lose it all. You can chase after your dreams and... Sometimes difficult things happen. Every single one of us in here are striving for a good life. Would you agree with that? We want to be happy. We want to have good relationships. We want to have security. We want to have a sense of satisfaction and meaning and purpose. And so today, we continue in this search for such with Solomon. Again and again, we find him listening to the world's advice on how to obtain the good life. And as he does, it doesn't work. 
And it never will. We talked about it last week in very depressing terms. All that the world offered to Solomon and all that the world offers to us are empty promises. Bad advice. There is a good life, but the world doesn't offer it. There is satisfaction, but the world doesn't know it. Only Jesus Christ can give us the fulfillment that we long for, that God has for us. And all the frustrations of this life really can be summed up in chasing any other method or means for satisfaction than a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, Solomon started off this quest for us. Hopefully, you remember and you were here with us. We just started walking verse by verse through the book. We started in chapter 1. I invite your attention back there. We're going to continue today in verse 12. But as you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you of where we've been. As we think of Solomon starting this quest for meaning, he began to say that life is sort of like gears that churn. It's sort of like this machine that's going on, sort of an impersonal machine, and we're trying to find personal meaning in it. The sun rises, and the sun sets, and the sun rises, and the sun sets, and the sun rises, and the sun sets, and generations come, and generations go, and babies are born, and men and women die. And people are forgotten in just a few generations. And if you remember last week, you walked away from here very, very depressed. In fact, I had a whole lot of people that said, Pastor, that was very depressing. It was sobering, but it was depressing. It was a struggle to kind of work through the first two-thirds of your message. And today will be the same in some respects, but we know it's going somewhere. Hopefully what this does is whet your appetite and you say, there's got to be more. Surely there's something else beyond everything that's under the sun. We talked about how the earth cycles like a machine. And I'll remind you of that discussion by just showing you verses 3 through 6 on the screen. You can see in them that the sun rises and generations come and go. The winds swirl and they swish. I'm not reading it. I just want you to be reminded that it's there. That the winds go from the north to the south to the east to the west. They just swirl around the earth. People come, people go, they're born, they live, they die, they're forgotten. Let me just really sum it up here. One philosopher that I read this week said this, when a woman gives birth, she brings another death into the world. How cheery is that? Welcome to Hardy Street Baptist Church. Guests, we're glad that you're here. When a woman brings a a, a child, a mortal, into the world, the world. Think about this. As sobering as that may be, man is marked by death. He's mortal. The word mortal actually means marked by death. Morte or morta, marked by death. The gears of life and generations will grind you up. The earth is not going to stop. It's been said that you lose your youth at 27. We talked about that last week. That's kind of the physical peak where you begin to lose more cells than you create. So you lose your youth at 27, and hopefully you get some common sense by the time you're 47 or 57, and man doesn't figure this out. Solomon said last week that man keeps searching. There's nothing new under the sun, and yet man still strives after all kinds of things. Man will find nothing new. He'll repeat old stuff. We just do the same things over and over again. We don't study history. We don't learn from history. So we're doomed to repeat history. 
find frustration and heartache here on the earth. So today, boys and girls, as we give you that cheery message of death and doom and gloom and hopelessness, we pick back up in the text in verse 12. Now, I want you to write these down because as we start in verse 12, and this is a place where I've given you some extra room for notes, there are several places that the human race looks for meaning without God. And Solomon's going to walk through the three biggies. He's going to walk through these categories. Solomon said, right off the bat, and we'll get to our text and see it in a moment, but he said intellectualism. Write that down. Intellectualism, big, big fancy word to say, I'm going to learn everything I can learn. I'm going to acquire all the information that I can gather. And that didn't work for him. It didn't satisfy him. He searched and sought, and as he did, he said, the more I learned, the more pain that it brought me. And so he moved from intellectualism to hedonism. He said, I'm going to party it up. I'm going to live for every pleasure I can find, every good pleasure. I'm going I'm to listen to the marketers and have it my own way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go for it like Nike would say. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to move forward in life, and if it feels good, I'm in. And he sought after pleasure and every pleasure he could enjoy, and he recognized that that too was empty. We're going to see that as we move forward. And then he comes to his third place of materialism. He said, I'm going to gather all of the material goods that I can, all the stuff that I can get. Somebody said it like this. If you think about those three, it's sort of like your freshman year, your sophomore year, and then your upperclassmen years. And here's how it works. Your freshman year, I'm going to study hard. I'm going to learn. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to college. I got a scholarship, and I'm going to learn. And after a year, you go, I'm going to pledge a fraternity. I'm partying. They're sophomore. I'm going to join a, a sorority. I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to live my life my way. And you come to the end of that, and, and after one too many hangovers or after one too many regrets, you say, you know what? I'm going to earn a million dollars before I'm 30. And we live our lives sort of that way. And Solomon does that across the ages of his life. We see him say, I'm going to learn all I can. I'm going to live all I can. And I'm going to grab all I can. And all three of those were empty. And so for you and for me, as we start in verse 12 today, and as we begin to move forward, we begin to see that Solomon says, I tried every single one of those things and none of them worked. I want to invite you to stand, if you wouldn't mind, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Let's stand together as we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore wisdom, everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, here's the intellectualism. I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like what? Like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. 
To increase in knowledge only increases sorrow. You may be seated as we pray. Father, I pray that you would add understanding and blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that we would hear it and we would heed it. We would take it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 12, we see that Solomon offers himself as sort of the guinea pig. He is a living example of the searcher. He is the one that's on this quest for meaning. Look back with me, if you will. We'll just put them on the screen. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. He's just setting the stage of who he is. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under the sun. This is the richest, wisest, most indulged man that has ever lived. I was the king. I sat on the throne. We know from church history there and from the history of the Israelites that in 900s BC, this man's kingdom exploded. Others would come from places like the the Queen of Sheba coming from Ethiopia just to marvel at all of the wisdom and wealth of Solomon. He had it all. I was the king of Israel. I had everything at my fingertips. And so basically what Solomon is saying to you and to me is this. If I can't find meaning, none of you can either. If I can't find purpose in this life, then you are hopeless. I'll just get that out of the way for you. I've done all the searching. I've tried it all. I've spent it all. I've done it all. I shared with you last week, if we could bring him forward with all of his wealth and his wisdom, he would be the man who would step out onto the tarmac out of a Bentley or out of a limousine. He would have custom suits and get in his own private jet. He would have breakfast in New York and he would fly to Europe for lunch or for dinner and he would do so with all of his business dealings. He had everything this world says is the picture and the model of success. And here we see in verse 13, the very first way to look for meaning without God. He said, I devoted myself to search. That devotion literally means I set my mind to gain understanding. Now, folks, remind you this, that he is not talking about divine wisdom. He's talking about man's ability to logically Human reason, physical learning, figure things out. He says, I'm going to learn all there is. I'm going to study history and politics and religion and philosophy, architecture, travel, geometry, geology, astronomy, astrology, art, biology, social sciences. I'm going to learn them all, everything that I can. That's why we call them degrees. We go a little higher, one degree at a time, a little learning at a time. Does that make sense, yes or no? So by degree, we're learning, and by degree, we're esteemed because of what we know. But one of the most tragic days of our lives sometimes is when you walk across the platform after four or more years of college, and you go through that process. Some of you will get that later. I was fast-tracked. I I crammed four years of college into six, okay? So there you go. In that process, though, you walk across the stage, and you get that diploma and say, I know stuff, but that's about it. I don't really have applied learning. I don't have applied wisdom. It's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. I mean, you get out into the real world and realize that learning in and of itself did not equip you. What I would say is this. What you're going to get out of verse 13 is that education without God is a grievous task. In fact, he said, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. What an amazing statement. God has dealt the human race 
a tragic existence. It, it literally says, this is the sons of Adam or the sons of man. He says, to all who were born on this earth, it is a grievous task. Literally, God has given to them as fallen men and women, we can study all we want. We can recognize that we will not find anything lasting under the sun. All of the study of finance and geology and geometry and biology and astronomy, all those things, ultimately, you will not find meaning in life through any of them. Think about it. You could be the wisest man in our day. You could understand nuclear reaction and fission and fusion. You could understand astronomy and astrology But how do we know God? Because without God, there is no ultimate meaning. And how do we know him? We know him through his word. It's interesting to me. It speaks. If there was a class at a university campus that said God has spoken and people signed up for it, it would take them to the Bible. And they would say, it speaks of a God who created. It speaks of mankind who fell. It speaks of a glorious plan of redemption. It speaks of a brand new nature for those who trust in Jesus Christ. It speaks of death, burial, and resurrection. And it speaks of a new heaven and a new earth one day. That is the story of the meaning of life. The gospel laid out in God's word. God has spoken to us. I said last week, it's fascinating to me. The only thing that can keep us from despair is the very thing that universities in large measure are forbidden to speak. Solomon said, I tried learning everything, worldly knowledge, and it was all like chasing the wind. Let me give you for your outline point number one. The answers to life are not found in the wisdom of man. Solomon discovered that. Solomon said the answers to this life are not found in textbooks. They're not found in classrooms. They are not found under the sun. Solomon made that conclusion that education and learning without God is of no profit. Look at verse 14. Solomon says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it was all meaningless like chasing the wind. It's a handful of nothing. It's like trying to grab at smoke. And man doesn't want to look for God or learn about God. He wants to keep looking down here. I love this Hebrew word, and we'll share it all the way through our study. The word is hevel. And hevel literally is that word vanity or meaningless, and it's like smoke or mist or vapor. We we have some friends that are here from Savannah, Tennessee, and, and years ago when we lived there and served there, we would drive across the river bottoms and there would just be a smoky fog that would roll in. And it was so thick you could cut it with a knife, it seemed. You couldn't see the front of your car. You certainly couldn't see your lights out behind, out in front. It was amazing to think. That's what hevel is. Life is disorienting and confusing, and you can't grab it and say, I've got it mastered. And what Solomon was saying is this life around us, you may do all the right things and still get beat down. It may rise up and bite you, but it's all a struggle. Why is it like that? Because we keep looking down here under the sun. Why is it so empty? Look at verse 15. What is wrong cannot be made right, and what is missing cannot be recovered. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just this morning set this in a very clear way? Life is flawed and broken. I can't give you the answer for every 
mysterious reason that bad things happen in our world. I can't give you an answer for childhood cancer or for drunk drivers that would kill a family. I can't give you all the answers for a pandemic, but I know that all those things are under the sun in a flawed world. And and as I share this with you, the idea that life is flawed, why is it that when we have children, if you don't believe me that life is flawed, why is it that we have children, they tend toward evil? None of you have to say to your kids, don't share so much. Keep the ball for yourself. You know, have you ever asked, why did you hit your brother with that hammer or that baseball bat or whatever it is? And he'll give you 10 cogent reasons why he did it. I mean, just justifiable in his brain. And the reality is that we live in a fallen, broken, selfish world. And here's the thing. You can know the mathematics and the matter of the universe, but it does not give you, that's the physical lower story, and it doesn't give you the ultimate meaning. That's what Solomon's saying. You will not find peace and happiness and contentment and certainly not eternal life or significance here on earth. That's the bottom line of this whole series is asking the question, what is the meaning of our life? There are deep questions. Where did man come from? Where did woman come from? Where did kids come from? Why are we here? Where are we going Why does man take in oxygen and give off carbon dioxide? Why do plants take in one and give out the other? Is there something more? Who did all of this? Is there a designer? You need to hear this, and I want to put it on the screen. Adam had no philosophical problems in the garden. I want to read this for you. He walked with God in the cool of the day. He was in touch with the infinite reality. I love this. He had absolute answer for creation, for the dignity of man, for the distinctiveness of his wife. He understood himself in relationship to the animals and to the cosmos, but he sinned. You need to see this. Adam knew who he was and why he was here and where he was going, but he sinned. And when Adam sinned, the lights went out. No longer did he have that direct connection. He was separated from the very presence of God, banished from the garden. His awareness of his place and his purpose vanished. His eyes were darkened. And if you'll think with me for a moment, all of his offspring right up to you and to me have had this same state. The children of Adam cannot look up and know what is above the sun on their own. It is only through God reaching down below the sun, by the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, leaving heaven and coming to earth and showing us what God is like. That's why the Bible says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation of God. In radiant brilliance and splendor, Jesus Christ, the God-man, came so that we would have hope of purpose and meaning and life. It's amazed me throughout the past year, we have over and over again used this phrase, these are uncertain times. We're living in uncertain times. I got to thinking about that this week. That's a pretty foolish statement. It almost shows our arrogance as Americans. So much around us is out of our control. There is so very little that you do control. 
Can you point me back to a time and say these are certain times? Because it's always been uncertain. There's always been tragedy and heartache and difficulty. Why? Because we're in a fallen, broken world. And verse 15 says, that which is lost cannot be recovered. It cannot be made right. What is missing? It's a fascinating thought. We've never lived in certain times. In these days, a person starts a restaurant and they work all their lives to build it up and in a moment it's gone. You've saved and it's gone. You had promise of a graduation and it was taken away. In these days, they're uncertain, but every day of our life is uncertain here under the sun. And we need to see that. We need to understand that really the only thing that we can control is our attitude and response to life. Why? Because the answers are not found in the wisdom of man. Does that make sense, yes or no? The truthfulness of Solomon's journal, you need to hear this. He's writing a journal. And the truthfulness of his journal may make Ecclesiastes one of the very best books you can use in sharing truth with your lost friends. I never thought of that. I almost always want to run to the Gospels and say, we just need to take them straight to the cross. But think about this. Have you got friends that are chasing dollars? Neighbors that are chasing dollars? You know, the old saying was that we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and about the time you catch up, they refinance. Hello? The Joneses are always one step away and I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try. And Solomon's saying, you're not going to. But if you've got friends that are chasing dreams or dollars, if they're chasing some place under the sun to find satisfaction, then you can show them, I know a guy that had everything. He was loaded. He had all the wealth in the world. He was the wisest man on the planet. He was indulged beyond any of our comprehension, and he said it's all vain foolishness. That really could be a place for you to connect. I hope, by the way, lean in a little bit. I hope that you'll take this sermon series and you'll have conversations over coffee or cheesecake with some of your friends. I hope that you would just entertain some thought. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? What makes you happy? What are you enjoying? And they'll begin to see that those things that make them happy are fleeting. That new toy that you get for Christmas will rust or rot or break. Those shiny things that we long for, the greener grass that's somewhere else. If there's untended green grass over there, it's probably sitting over a septic tank. Life is not as beautiful and neat and tidy as we want it to be. And ultimately, it's finite. And in our finite minds, we're trying to see constellations as moles underground. We do not have the capacity to see what's above the sun. Very significant for us to consider. At the Connect stations, there are listening guides. And I'd love for you to just pick one up and and share that maybe with a friend. Well, let's continue on. Solomon searched out history, sorting through all the foolish ideas and the good ideas and the maxims and all of the proverbs. And he examined the rise and the fall of empires. He looked at all the gods and all the religions. He read through the important thinkers. He had advisors accumulate as much information as they could. And after all that, his conclusion was it's all striving after the wind. It's chasing the wind. 
It's trying to grab smoke or vapor. The universe in itself does not contain anything to give meaning or purpose or happiness or joy or ultimate fulfillment. We need to hear that again and again, Hardy Street. There must be something more. And, and here's the cool part. I want you to see this. Normally, we would do verse-by-verse verse exposition, and I would want to take you to verse 16 and then verse 17. But if I did that and I continued, most of you would want to have some antidepressants or you'd want to crawl up in a hole somewhere. So let me skip over because what this ought to show you is there's got to be something better in the story, Pastor. There's got to be something unique or hope-filled. Is there meaning? under the sun? Solomon says, no. But is there ultimate meaning in life? Hallelujah. Jesus says, yes. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I have come so that the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy would not take hold of your life because I am the door to the sheepfold and I watch out for my sheep and they are in my hand. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no man can snatch them from my hand. There's security, there's peace, there's confidence, there is assurance, there is meaning in life. Life may kick me in the teeth tomorrow, but I'm still in the hands of Jesus. And ultimately, the world may snuff out my days of life here, but it's God who holds my life in his hand. Let me give you the second one. The answers to life must come from God's loving hand. God has not left us in the dark. He didn't leave us to figure it out on our own. He entered our world. He spoke to man, and he became man. And the beautiful unfolding story of redemption gives us hope for life beyond this life and meaning for today. All week long, I've been humming a song. You probably know it. It's an old hymn that's been in practically every hymn book in our lifetime. I'll give you the first line, and I bet you'll pick up. We're not going to sing this one either, but I love to tell the story of unseen things. Where? Above. Do you think this hymn writer knew something that Solomon knew? I can search the world for knowledge. I can search the world for pleasure. I can search the world for material possession and none of it will give me happiness because it's all under the sun in this flawed, broken world. Oh, but there is another world, an unseen world, an eternal world ruled by the king who is the creator and sustainer of all things. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longing like nothing else can do. So you may run out this fall and spend a gazillion dollars on tickets to see the Rolling Stones geriatric tour or whatever they've called this one. And Mick will hobble out on stage and he will say, I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction and the hymn writer says Jesus thrills my soul Jesus makes me whole Jesus gives me comfort and confidence and eternal life finally let me say this when you look at that 
second point, and you say, how is it loving when this world is so broken? Can I just tell you that sometimes the brokenness of this world is the very thing that leads you to look up? It makes you lift your eyes beyond the futility of trying to satisfy your soul. Somebody said, a theologian said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and the only thing that can fill it is not alcohol or drugs or sex or relationships or money or power or prestige. The only thing that can fill a God-shaped hole is God. And maybe, just maybe today, you've come to the end of all of your search and hopefully Solomon has helped you with that. And you said, you know what? If he can't do it, I'm not going to find it. I don't have his money. I don't have Solomon wealth or wisdom. And so I'll just trust that it's futile. And you go, where can I find help? And you look up. People ask these kinds of questions all the time. Our pastoral staff have to deal with it. If God is so loving, why does he allow small children to get cancer? If God is so loving, why do all these things happen? And the truth is that from individual situation to individual situation, I don't know. I don't always understand or know what God's specific purposes are in any situation, but I know what God's big picture plans are. And I know that God is motivated beyond the circumstances that he allows in our individual lives to bring us to salvation and eternal life. You say, I can't believe that a loving God would allow me to suffer. Well, he allowed his son to suffer. He allowed his son to die on your behalf. And so I'll save you the discovery of all of my inadequacies and just tell you really quickly right up front that I don't have all of the answers, but God can bring anything good from any set of circumstances. His word tells me so. God works together for good in all things. Romans 8 tells us. Doesn't mean all things are good, but God is working for good in and through every circumstance of your life. And that's good enough for me. I trust him, especially when I don't understand. I trust him. Number three, the answers to life often come through much pain and sorrow as we work our way to wisdom. There's purpose in our pain. Our pain serves as a signpost to point us to Jesus. If we didn't have angina, there might be a heart attack that would kill us, but we have pain in our chest or a tightness in our chest, and we say, I need to do something because something's wrong. And the pain of your life says, something is wrong. I need more. There's got to be more. Where can I find more? And Jesus says, here I am. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Verse 18 kind of sums this up. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge increases sorrow. You know why? Because the more he learned, the more he learned of brokenness. And for all of us here today, I simply want to say this and we'll close. Some of you have learned this very lesson. Some of you have walked down difficult paths. I'm not trying to trivialize any of it. Sometimes when we start talking about eternity, you say, yeah, but I, I don't want to talk about the sweet by and by when I'm living in the nasty here and now. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. Relationships broken. Finances in shambles. Health failing. Brokenness. Heartache. 
discontent and a lack of any satisfaction. Can I tell you that God, who is peace, offers today peace in this life. It doesn't always change the circumstance. It doesn't make everything better. It doesn't mean that you'll have sprinkles on all your ice cream. It doesn't mean you'll have unicorns and rainbows. What it does mean, and he describes it this way, peace that passes understanding. It makes no sense for a young pastor friend of ours whose six-year-old is on hospice right now from an inoperable tumor. It makes no sense for them to be praising God as I've seen them over the last several weeks. It makes no sense. It made no sense for me yesterday to pray with a family whose dad, the patriarch of that family, is on hospice and entering his last days and for them to say, he's ready and we're ready to let him go. He's ready to go. We celebrate the fact that Psalm 116, 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That doesn't make sense to the world under the sun. Whoa, I'm still trying to earn money. I'm trying to gain knowledge. I'm trying to acquire stuff. I'm trying to have pleasure. And God says, oh, how foolish and fleeting all of the pleasures and knowledge and material gain of this world are. The only thing that matters is Christ. And so for you today, I'm going to invite our musicians forward. And as they come forward, we're going to sing a hymn of decision. Just a simple song as an opportunity for you to respond to this message. Now, everybody look and listen. We have encouragers in our church. They are simply men and women that have been trained to take God's word and to share with you hope. They are encouragers. They will pray with you and pray for you. They're not going to judge you. Their, their goal and their desire is to love you and to encourage you. They're always stationed right down here. When we begin to sing, if you'll step up wherever you are and step out and come to the front, you can meet with me and I'll introduce you to one of them. And they would love to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The ultimate place, the only place of true satisfaction. Let's pray. Father, there are many that are hurting in this world. It is the nature of this world. And God, there are many who have found no satisfaction in the things of this world. And your word 3,000 years ago, through the wisest man who ever lived, tells us that it would be so. There is no lasting satisfaction under the Son. Oh, but Jesus Christ gives to us eternal life. He demonstrated love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And today, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would draw men and women and boys and girls, give them courage to step out. Help them to see the, the futility and the uncertainty of this life only leads to frustration and fear and heartache. But you, oh God, give confidence and eternal assurance. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand, and as you quietly stand to your feet, we're going to begin singing. As we do, let God have his way. Maybe you need to join the church. Our encouragers can help you with your membership, and we would love for that to happen if this is the place God would, would have you. We're thankful that God is calling people. Just in the, the coming weeks, we're going to have baptism. We're excited about God saving people and bringing them to eternal life. And we're excited about God bringing people into our faith family. We want to be a beacon of hope amongst our neighbors. Let's sing together and you let God have his way. You move, step out as we sing.